This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, it has been an eventful day uh, in terms of news today, and we're going to try to keep you as uh, well appraised as uh, we possibly can through the course of the next hour and into our um, day in review at 5 o'clock. But um, as you know, there's been plenty of discussion in recent days about green energy and hydro development uh, stemming from the Energy NL conference uh, over the last day or two, but the province's offshore industry uh, took a major blow today with Equinor's decision to delay the Bay du Nord project for up to three years. Country manager with Equinor Canada, Tori Luceth, says costs have increased significantly in recent months due in large part to volatile market conditions. It's another blow to local employment hopes for the project. You may recall that the province was on tenderhooks for quite some time due to a delay in federal government approval that the project finally received the green light about a year ago, and while Equinor was working with its partners on a final investment decision, it was looking at the possibility of first oil in 2028. Well, now that's been put on hold, and the company is continuing to assess exploration drilling around the Beta Nord field, which has shown significant prospectivity. Uh, sometime in 2024. As expected, the news has had a ripple effect through the province's resource sector. Charlene Johnson addressed it at the Energy NL conference in St. John's today. Before we begin, I just wanted to take a few minutes of your time to address the announcement in our industry today. As most of you are likely aware by now, we have received the extremely disappointing news that Equinor has decided to delay the Beijing pipeline for up to three years. Clearly, this is extremely disappointing news for everyone in this room and our entire industry and our province. I have spoken with Tora Loset of Equinor and expressed our disappointment and concerns, and he will speak here tomorrow. We have seen much market volatility in recent years in our industry and in the wider economy. As we all know, this project has seen numerous delays in the past number of years, and this is just another bump in the road to what we still feel will be a successful project. We have seen this before, and we've come out the other side. We will do so again. Our members will continue to prepare and show as a sector that we are ready to play a leading role in one of the world's lowest carbon energy projects. Energy NL will remain in contact with Equinor in the coming weeks. As you have seen this week, there are so many reasons for optimism in our industry, from our current offshore projects to exploration programs and renewable energy developments. And despite this news, we will continue to remain optimistic, both for our industry and the Beijing Nord project. Let's continue to showcase who we are, what we can do, and how successful we will be. 
So that's Energy NL CEO Charlene Johnson putting her best face forward um, earlier today uh, over lunch, as you could hear clearly here uh, at the Energy NL uh, conference today. Meanwhile, VOCM's Noah Shepard got the premier's reaction to the news this afternoon at the opening of Rio Tinto's new office in St. John's. Equinor has just announced that uh, there could be a delay of up to three years on the Bay de Nord project. I'm just uh, wondering what your reaction to that news is. Yeah, certainly whenever there's a delay, we're not overly excited and, uh, you know, disappointed would be, uh, you know, a better character characterization. That said, um, you know, they're not canceling the project. Um, when you look at mega projects, uh, ones that we've done and ones that others have done here, um, the planning process often does have uh, delays, uh, whether that's uh, from an engineering perspective or a business development perspective or external, uh, external market forces uh, at play. So the company has assured me that, uh, that this is uh, largely market forces at play, and it's not a cancellation. It's, a, it's uh, using some time to, to reevaluate the best way forward. They can't forget uh, the resource is still ours. It's still out there. It's, uh, it's 8 kilograms per barrel, so it's one of the lowest carbon footprint products in the world. Uh, it is valuable, and they see it as such. Uh, Equinor themselves are still drilling. So although it's not the best news, uh, a delay is never good, but uh, it's, it's, it's not a cancellation. And uh, we're, they've uh, told me, and I think they've, uh, they've told you through a, a media release, they have good relation, relationships with us, and this has nothing to do with ongoing discussions that, that we had. It's just uh, a, mark, a global market force decision, market force decision for them, largely in, value, in evaluating no different that we all have to do personally and at home, the inflationary pressures that exist within uh, their business. And you can imagine the scale of changes and percentage points on, uh, on uh, cost of borrowing, for example, for them on such a large project. So uh, while, uh, while it's not, you know, Pleasant news. Uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, Equinor is fully committed uh, to this province and is evident in the fact that they're continuing their office operations here for planning for the future. And does this shake your faith in the project at all? No, not at all. I mean, the project is um, the, the project's incredibly valuable. Like we, we've we've seen over the last few years, the the expansion of the estimated numbers of barrels of uh, of oil and. and We've seen the analysis on the lower carbon element of the, of the oil. Um, so I think the world, uh, I think Equinor still looks at this very positively. Uh, I mean, they have canceled other projects, right? Other projects in their own backyard. They haven't canceled this one. They're just doing a, uh, a pause for financial analysis given the uncertainty in the global marketplace. Um, so I think it's an incredibly valuable resource. It's ours. It will still be ours. And we need to make sure that we, that we reap the benefits of that. Um, but if you look at Hibernia, for example, I mean, there was many delays along the way in the planning process of Hibernia. Now it's the goose that's laying the golden egg. And so while it's upsetting and, you know, disappointing, it's, I, I still firmly believe in the fundamentals of the project, and I, I believe that Equinor does as well. 
So that's uh, Premier Andrew Fury uh, clearly expressing his disappointment with Equinor's decision uh, as he was speaking with VOCM's Noah Shepard earlier today, saying a delay never uh, is never good, uh, but at least it's not a cancellation. And uh, Equinor has actually canceled other projects, uh, some much closer uh, to home than offshore Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, basing it on global market force um, conditions as we speak. Well, we'll uh, when we come back, we're going to get plenty more reaction to Equinor's uh, decision to delay the Beta Nord project. This is new stock on VOCM. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And we're back. And uh, uh, if you're just tuning in, Equinor has announced that it will delay its massive Beta Nord project for up to three years. That announcement uh, came, um, well, virtually out of the blue earlier today. Um, It also comes as disappointing news, not only to the province as a whole, but arguably none more so than Trades NL, which represents those hoping to work on the development. Well, Darren King joins me now. Darren, no doubt this is uh, disappointing news today. Yes, it's very disappointing for sure. Um, you know, we had no no idea, no inkling that uh, news of this magnitude was coming down not only today but even at any point in time. Because you know everything that we've been aware of, it, it appeared that things were progressing towards their decision gate and discussions with government on the benefits agreement had progressed uh, nicely. And we've had some good positive interaction with Equinor as well, government herself. So, yeah, it's extremely disappointing and uh, and surprising to be honest. So what does this mean? What were you expecting? Well, you know, I, I guess there's a couple of things. I mean, I'm not totally disheartened with this. Uh, you know, this, this is not unusual when any project's being developed and there are negotiations and discussions ongoing and so on. So I, I, I'm not disheartened with it. Uh, you know, I just think it's part of the process. We've been down this road before where we've had project delays and we just, <clears throat> excuse me, we just keep pushing forward and, and keep lines of communication open with the company and government. And as in the past, you know, we've been successful and projects have moved forward. So I, I, I do believe Beta Nord will move forward. I think it's a really good project. It's a, it's a world leader in many respects in changing how oil is uh, processed uh, and developed. Um, and Equinor has got a reputation for being that kind of a company. So I, I just can't imagine that they'd ever walk away from this project. I just I just think this is probably a decision about some bigger items that they're working through, and and we'll just continue to work with them and be supportive and uh, obviously continue our own advocacy around making sure the project happens, but happens with good local benefits. Equinor, of course, is going to give its update in the morning. I would imagine that you'll be watching that with very close, uh, very closely. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's definitely going to be important. Uh, you know, to be honest, I I don't expect much more than we have today, though. Um, you know, most of the companies are pretty tight-lipped. Uh, generally, what they'll do is put out a statement, and then anything else they say is just taken from the statement. So I don't anticipate at this point that there'll be anything new coming tomorrow or an explanation as to why they are where they are. I, I think that'll probably unfold in the you know the coming days and weeks as. Uh, uh, groups like Austin Energy and Al and others trying to sort of dig in and, and figure out, you know, what's going on and where we need to be. So I don't expect anything too new tomorrow morning. So what is uh, happening now this summer? Um, well, we're, you know, we're still really busy. I mean, Equinor, as you know, has been a been a focal point for us on the oil oil side. Um, you know, we're still working with proponents around the LNG project. I mean, that's, that's a little further out, but uh, we're still engaged with that. 
and we're uh, obviously heavily involved in wind hydrogen, uh, following you know what's happening there, and talking to some of the proponents about possible labor agreements and uh, and things like that. Uh, and there's lots of you know lots of provincial work happening that we're engaged in. Like it's it's a really busy time for all of us. Uh, we've got lots of people working outside the province. Um, we got you know we got people coming looking for our trades workers. Just two days ago, I met with the, the proponents doing the LNG facility in Kitimat. And they're looking for hundreds of trades workers prepared to put direct flights on from St. John's to BC. And so, you know, there's lots of opportunities for sure. Um, the Beta Nord, you know, obviously offered an opportunity for people to stay home and work at home in their home province. And, and so that'll continue to be a priority for us. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the industry and we just continue our focus of advocating for our, our local workforce and for what we bring to projects and continue looking for other opportunities to put the women and men of the trades to work. Darren King, appreciate your time. Thanks, Linda. Appreciate the opportunity, as always. And Darren King is the executive director of uh, Trades NL. Well, a man who's been involved in the Newfoundland oil patch since 1989 says the delay in Beta Nord is very, very serious for the industry. Rob Strong was at the Energy NL conference in St. John's today, and he spoke with reporters uh, just a short while after Equinor's announcement. I'm concerned, deeply concerned. It, it, sends, us, uh, it's, it sends a bad message out to the industry. Generally, I've always argued you can't if you can't produce it, you're not going to drill it. We have some upcoming requirements for drilling or these applications for drilling. Will they drill? Because if they can't drill, if they can't produce it, why drill it? And I, we still don't know the reasons why Equinor have backed away. It's interesting that this is the third project in the last two months that Equinor have walked away from. But yet their balance sheet's very, very healthy. They're making a lot of money selling gas, filling the, the Russian-Ukraine situation. So they're cash rich, but why they're not, why they've walked away, I don't know. Is it because of our excessive cost? Remember, this is deep water. This is a $16 billion project. And remember as well, there's a, the United Nations royalty that has to be paid because it's beyond the 200-mile limit. Uh, have we as a province, and, and I'm not party to the discussions, but have we as a province demanded too much in the way of topside fabrication? These are things that you put to government, but are, these are several reasons why I think they've probably walked away on a temporary basis. And maybe maybe it's a negotiation state, uh, uh, process. Maybe Equinor is saying to the government, no, we don't want to build topside modules in Newfoundland. We're going to walk away. So government has to make the decision. Do we allow an oil company, in this case Equinor, to come drill with no local benefits? I don't know. These questions are better put to Andrew Parsons and Andrew Fury. And what do you think the impact in the future will be as a result of this? I think very negative. I, I think... If you if you if you look at the enthusiasm for oil and gas at this conference, besides the wind, many many of the local contractors are here, hoping that Beta Nord will get an announcement soon because they're being gearing upward. Because if there's no Beta Nord, what is there? We might get a little bit of exploration drilling in the future, but if Beta Nord doesn't happen, will BP, assuming they discover something, will BP uh, go ahead with it? Um, so I think I. I, I you know, this is serious. This is serious stuff. This is very serious stuff, and has a psychological impact upon the business community and the investment community. So, I'm concerned. Yeah, I have to be concerned. I'm not concerned because my career is almost over, but I'm concerned for my 
colleagues, and I'm concerned for you know the the students at Memorial Memorial, who studying engineering, who felt that they had a, a long-term future here in Newfoundland. Well, maybe you know maybe they're gonna uh, have to rethink that again. So they're citing um, economic volatility, volatility in the market. Can you just kind of expound on what that volatility might be right now? Well, obviously supply chain supply chain issues of and an influence in everywhere in the world. They can't get the, the equipment, the tools, that sort of thing. But as I say, it's expensive to drill out in the Flemish Pass. It's it's uh, it's a long haul. It's you know logistics are a nightmare trying to get trying to get helicopters out there. So that's Rob Strong, oil industry analyst who's been involved in the business for well over 40 years now with his uh, assessment of what has happened here today. Equinor announcing that it is delaying its Beta Nord project for up to three years. And he's openly speculating what's behind this, a cash-rich company um, uh, talking about excessive costs. And he wonders, has the province... uh, uh, you know, demanded too much. Uh, he says that's a question you need to put to the Premier and or Andrew Parsons. Well, if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, um, energy has dominated discussion as of late because uh, of the Energy NL Conference. And of course, this is a confluence of business, uh, provincial and federal government uh, leaders. Well, there was an update today on Brea Renewable Fuels and its operations at the Come By Chance Refinery which is uh, currently under conversion. Federal Minister Jonathan Wilkinson announced an investment of uh, what they're calling an investment, uh, $86 million in spending uh, for Brea Renewable Fuels Come By Chance Refinery. Uh, That took place at the refinery this afternoon. The facility expected to start producing cleaner fuels later this year. Well, here's Brea's President Jim Stump speaking with reporters in Come By Chance earlier this afternoon things that give us great advantages of being here in Newfoundland. It's not only the people here, which are awesome, but it's our geographic location. So the reason it's an advantage to us is why it was an advantage to the refinery, and that's that we can get feedstock from anywhere in the world, literally, um, that can make it on the water. Uh, We can buy those feedstocks for a plant. When we start up, it's going to be primarily, uh, as one of the ministers said, soybean oil. Uh, is our initial feedstock. That's what's most available today. And uh, that that feedstock will come from South and North America, along with uh, some uh, tallow byproducts. Um, That'll be our original feedstock. Uh, We we feel like there's tons of opportunities to source from Canada. Canola has been recently approved by the EPA as a feedstock, Um, but we're well positioned to get feedstock from anywhere. our first uh, shipments of diesel will be going to California. Um, right now, the incentives for uh, renewable diesel are strongest in the United States due to their renewable fuel standard, um, along with the low-carbon fuel programs on the West Coast in, in the U.S. But as Canada's low-carbon fuel standards and renewable fuel standard evolves, we, we certainly hope that our product stays home in Canada in the very near future. And 
can you tell us the value of the uh, uh, the renovation you're doing here and how critical this 87 million dollars is so it's a whole lot terry um we're, we're not going to publicly disclose disclose our spend uh for various reasons it's kind of proprietary but it's a lot of money um the 87 million we're getting from the canadian federal government is a lot of money and uh is absolutely uh necessary for us to complete this project it, it was money that we we needed and and we're glad that canada came through for us so that is uh, brea president jim stump uh at the come by chance oil refinery this afternoon they are uh, brea of course renewable fuels is currently involved in the conversion of that um, oil refinery to a what do you call it, a renewable diesel generating facility? And it's going to be using feedstock like soya oil and, and uh, potentially canola oil to do that. So he spoke with reporters today about this $87 million announced today by uh, Federal Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, which he says is necessary for their operations there. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, we mentioned the Federal Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, income by chance today. He was in St. John's this morning um, to provide more detail on amendments to the Atlantic Accord, which were introduced in the House of Commons yesterday. We'll have more on that when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. And, you know, I haven't even mentioned the fact that the president of Iceland was in the capital city today for a formal visit as well. And uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan was there, and we'll have all the news on that. But um, Federal Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson yesterday introduced amendments to the Atlantic Accord in the House of Commons uh, to include renewable and other forms of energy. Well, he was in the province today for the formal announcement, and uh, Richard Duggan was there. Canada is faced with a choice between two paths when it comes to climate and energy. We can choose the path of being a leader in building a low-carbon economy that will provide jobs and economic opportunity for our children and a sustainable environment for the future. Or we can essentially put our heads in the sand and, uh, and hope for the best. We can develop a real plan for a sustainable and prosperous future in a low-carbon world. It is something that requires thought, and it requires action. Canada's federal government has chosen the first path, and so has the provincial government here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We are working very closely together to develop and implement a thoughtful and a robust plan for the future. It is in this context that yesterday I was very pleased to introduce into the House of Commons amendments to the Atlantic Accords Act with Newfoundland Labrador to expand the mandate of the Offshore Energy Board to include the development of offshore renewable energy projects here in Newfoundland Labrador. With these amendments, the current Offshore Board will take on responsibility for the regulation of renewable energy in addition to the Board's existing responsibilities. As part of these amendments, the Board will be renamed the Canada-Newfoundland-Labrador Offshore Energy Regulator. The amendments to the Accord Acts are a necessary step in the province being able to effectively pursue the economic opportunity that is presented by renewable energy generation and associated opportunities very much including hydrogen production. 
Globally, over 50 gigawatts of offshore wind projects have been installed, and that figure is growing rapidly every day. There are enormous economic opportunities for this province, which has comparative advantages rooted in the synergies with existing offshore energy supply chains, significant ocean research expertise, a highly skilled and experienced workforce, and of course the very high quality of the wind resource that exists offshore. The global offshore market is forecast to increase 15-fold and attract $1 trillion in investment by 2040. The bill that was introduced into the House of Commons is about positioning Newfoundland and Labrador to attract investment, to create jobs, and to generate economic prosperity for the future. It is about advancing climate action in a manner that will concurrently enable economic progress. It is also about making good on commitments that we made collectively to our German and other European friends about assisting them with their own decarbonization efforts. The expansion of the Accord Act mandates will leverage Canada's legacy of regulatory excellence in the offshore energy and position Newfoundland and Labrador to become a hub for investment, create sustainable jobs, and make meaningful contributions to Canada's climate goals. I certainly want to acknowledge and thank a few folks in particular for their thoughtful and collaborative engagement on this extremely important file. Certainly the provincial government, very much including Premier Fury and Minister Parsons, my cabinet and caucus colleagues uh, from the, the, this province, but very much including Minister O'Regan, and of course uh, the board chair and CEO who joined us in, uh, in Ottawa for, uh, for the introduction of the bill. Today is, uh, in my view, a very good day for Newfoundland and Labrador. It is a very good day for Canada. It is uh, a big step forward, and of course there remains much work to do, but I am very excited by the possibilities. So thank you very much for joining us today, and I will invite my friend Premier Fury to the Thanks. Well, thank you, Minister. It certainly is a, is a great day. and. Uh, the minister and I uh, originally began this uh, conversation uh, with Minister O'Regan and Minister Parsons and Minister LeBlanc uh, almost two years ago now. And so it's, uh, it's, it's good to see everybody here today, and it's, and it's good that a, a Christmas call uh, to the minister uh, resulted in, in, a, in a robust uh, approach that is forward-looking and considers the due economic impacts for Newfoundland and Labrador. My friends, these moments uh, are rare as Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, historic moments, moments to look towards the horizon and to create new horizons. While these moments wouldn't be possible without the strong work of Minister Andrew Parsons, and I have to say he deserves the lion's share of credit when it comes to the hard work, the behind-the-scenes work that needs to get projects like this over the finish line. And of course, we are so lucky in Ottawa to be supported by my friend, Minister Seamus O'Regan. The partnership that we have goes beyond friendship and has now resulted in several, several, not just one, several direct economic investments and support for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. So thank you, sir. But they, like all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, are instilled with a legendary pride of place, a place that we all know can be unforgiving when it comes to the weather or it comes to the geography. Yet through hardships and struggle, ask anyone here about those moments that define us, 
and you will always see a collective smile. We've worked hard for everything that we have here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And when we hit those milestones, we celebrate it, not as a gain for some, but as a gain for all of Newfoundland and Labrador. This, my friends, is one of those unique and historic moments, one of those giant steps forward. The significance of these amendments to the Atlantic Accord cannot be understated. This will echo loudly now and be heard for years and years to come. Much like the original Atlantic Accord, we again take stewardship of our natural resources. What we can aptly describe as the winds of change are upon us all here today. Today we start towards a new frontier for future generations. This is a gigantic win for every Newfoundlander and Labradorian. A step forward for Canada and a step up for our collective teamwork together. So that's Premier Andrew Fury and uh, Federal Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, who yesterday in the House of Commons introduced amendments to the Atlantic Accord to include renewable and other forms of energy. And I don't know about you, Claudette, but as a broadcaster, you notice voices like Jonathan Wilkinson's and you're like, man, what a set of pipes he's got. Yeah, that's the first thing. I he should be in radio. That. I know. <laughs> he sounds like Noah Shepard. <laughs> I know. He, Noah Shepard, just like Jolene Grimes and yourself, can read the phone book, and I would just be in awe. <laughs> God bless your heart. I, you, well, I don't want this to become a mutual, what is it? Oh, yes, a love fest or anything like that. <laughs> but well, uh, you're one of my favorite broadcasters uh, of all time, just <laughs> saying. Um, but, yeah, what a voice he's got. <laughs> And, you know, it's hard. Do you find, too, though, when you listen to certain people's voices, sometimes the message gets lost because you're... You're just, you're just you're concentrating on the actual on tone. On the actual and, tone, yeah. how perfect it is. Maybe it's just us. Oh, you know, it could be the business. That's like, that's almost a good question, um, you know, that I could pose some afternoon. Um, you know, whatever business somebody is in or whatever vocation, do you notice whatever you're into more so than somebody else maybe you're a baker and you go to somebody's house and they give you a homemade cookie for instance do you yeah, well then you're a little bit more critical you're I like know. Hmm. well you went a little heavy on the chocolate well, chips so here we i have can never, you go heavy on chocolate cho- chips no that is impossible to do that is impossible what did to i do. just say <laughs> i know well we have a friend who's a chef and i have yet to invite him over because he's a great chef Oh, my gosh. No, I'd never have a chef over at my house for for dinner. Are you kidding? I don't even have my regular friends over for dinner. Just opening the cupboards (laughs) and letting them see what the mess I've got in there alone. I know. It's like, this is how, how do you work like this? My sister who likes to cook, she comes to my house. She opens up the cupboard. She says, how do you you live like this? this? (laughs) How? It's like, I know where that pot is. I can put my pot on my hand on that pot right now. I might have to weech back a bit. With your eyes closed. Exactly. (laughs) Well, now I'm mad. (laughs) 
me too. I can't reciprocate with people because I can't cook. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, when we come back after the break, we're going to hear from Richard Duggan, who among the many, many uh, things that he was covering today, along with Brian Major and Brian Callahan and Noah Shepard, and oh my gosh, the whole team was out on the go today at five or six different things. Um, among the many things he did today was he got to meet the president of Iceland, would you believe, who was uh, paying a little state visit to the capital city today. So uh, we'll hear from him and we'll get a little update on the gathering place uh, where reporters got a tour of the site of the new expanded space that they have there. This is News Talk on VOCM. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're back. And uh, joining me here on News Talk this afternoon is the smiling face of Richard Duggan, who has been, uh, well, flat out today. Today On the go all day, day, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So among the many things that you didn't know you were doing when you walked in today uh, was you got to meet the president of Iceland. Yes, so the president of Iceland is in Newfoundland and Labrador today. It's part of a big sort of uh, visit to Canada, and he made a stop here, and uh, we briefly spoke with him today at Confederation Building. and, you know, one of the things that he highlighted while while we spoke with him was that Iceland and Newfoundland are very similar in a lot of ways. And uh, one of the things that he's looking to speak with the premier about um, was actually on fisheries and some of the similarities uh, there. So uh, that's one of the things that uh, they went to talk about that we sort of we had about a 10 minute window in which we could speak with the premier and and the president. And then they went off in the elevator and up to do their meeting at Confederation Building. Um, but uh, he said that, you know, in, in Iceland, their fishery is carefully managed through a system of quotas. And um, over there, they, he, the words he said were that they're pretty confident that they won't face stock depletion by the way that they have their system in place. Um, so maybe there are lessons that both sides can learn from how uh, it's done here in Canada and how they do it in Iceland. And especially given, you know, the tensions that we saw in the fishery uh, very recently, maybe there are lessons to learn there on how we can manage things such as crab, for example. Um, so that was one of the the main things that he sort of pointed out um, in that regard. And he also mentioned how they use fish over there because he said that they make sure to use the entirety of the product. They don't just consume it. They, um, you know, they use it as food, but they also do it, uh, he said, for example, for medical purposes and, and other purposes like that. So they uh, make sure to, to uh, utilize it to its fullest potential. So that was um, undoubtedly a um, topic of their conversation as well. Did he mention the the cod fishery over there? Like, I know that they had suffered similar depletions of cod like we did, and we've had the moratorium. We've been under moratorium now for more than 30 years. Uh, So uh, did he mention anything about that fishery and how their efforts to sort of replenish the stocks? Uh, He never mentioned cod specifically. He did very briefly mention how, you know, they had uh, faced challenges in the past and how, you know, their system isn't perfect, uh, what they have over there. Um, But, yeah, that. That's mostly um, what what this meeting is about today. Just finding areas that maybe uh, you know they could work on uh, moving forward, and maze uh, ways in which they could. Um utilize collaboration and I I asked um, as well you know of course the big topic of the week is energy so I asked you know could there be the potential for uh, any agreements with Iceland for green energy in the future and uh, very simply they said you know it's not off the table and it's something that they could explore potentially in the future. 
Now, I got to ask, this is just me being a nosy Newfoundlander now. Mm. Um, not a journalist, but a nosy Newfoundlander. You're I'm up in the window. You're up in the proverbial I'm window right with, now. With yeah. the curtain, and I'm, you know, I've just <laughs> brought it a little bit forward so you can't quite see me, but you can see my beak pick, uh, poking out. Um, uh, so uh, President Johannesson was here, and I couldn't help but notice that the First Lady, his wife... Her name is Eliza Reed, mm-hmm. and he's here in St. John's. Uh, she wouldn't happen to be a Newfoundlander, would she? Now, I don't know that for certain, but what I do know, and what he did mention, is that they actually spent their honeymoon here 20 years ago. So I, I don't know if there's a, a Newfoundland connection for her in terms of her family connections, but they, they did share that sweet little moment uh, here 20 years ago. So sort of a, a revisiting of that for him today as well. Oh, well, a romantic time for the Johannessons in, in St. John's. Uh, lovely to hear. Um, Richard Duggan, uh, thanks for everything today, you and the rest of the VOCM News team. It's been flat out, I know. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Linda. It was a whirlwind day. A whirlwind for sure. Well, among the many, many things that happened today was uh, a little tour of uh, the gathering place and its newly expanded um, space, the gather- gathering space expanding its operations as it converts the former Mercy Convent into a permanent housing solution for people in need. Executive Director Paul Davis says the current temporary shelter was created during COVID with the intent of developing a more permanent facility. That process is now well underway. He gave reporters, including VOCM's Brian Callahan, a tour of the site this morning. Every day I come to the gathering place, I get to reflect on how privileged I am because we, we truly are. Um, and there are so many people in the community who don't have what many of us have. Uh, I quite often do tours here with potential partners and uh, supporters and so on, and uh, when we get to the uh, brand new showers we have on the second floor that we're, uh, we're, we're able to install because of a donor, and I quite often tell people, look, I got up this morning and you know, I brushed my teeth and I got a shave. I missed a couple of spots, but that's okay. And I got a shower and I go to my closet and I say, what am I going to wear today? I want to wear something that's going to make me feel good or that I'll be comfortable in. You know, I get a cup of coffee or a slice of toast. I check my social media feeds to see if anyone's saying anything about me, of course. And you read the morning news. Uh, I don't check for the leaf scores anymore because for obvious reasons. Um, and then, of course, I use my remote starter to start my car because heaven forbid I had to go get in a cold car. But, you know, people who come to the gathering place quite often don't have any of that. So from the very start in the morning, I get to reflect on how privileged I am. So that is truly um, appreciated. And uh, it's really an honor to be able to work here with a, uh, a team of employees and a team of volunteers who are all dedicated to the same mission. Uh, and our volunteers include a, a, a wide variety. Uh, we have a board of directors for volunteers. Some of them are here this morning. Um, Sister Elizabeth is the is the leader of the board, and a leader in many ways, which needs no description to anybody here. But she is truly a, a gift to us in the gathering place as well, and she's been certainly a, a big help and a mentor uh, to me since I came here, and it's greatly appreciated. Uh, I often refer to ourselves, the people who work here and volunteer here, as uh, caretakers. Uh, we're caretakers in a very small segment of time relative to a very long history of the Sisters of Mercy and, uh, and the Gathering Place. Uh, Sister Diane referred to this, um, that it was in 1842 um, when the first sisters uh, sailed through the Narrows to come to St. John's. It was actually on June 3rd, so Saturday, Saturday coming, uh, will be 181 years since the sisters first arrived here. 
and, and they've occupied. Diane and me. <laughs> of course not. Maybe Sister Diane, but definitely not. No, I want to kidding. No, no, not at all, of course. But, and they only know it because they heard it from others who heard it from others who heard it from others who heard it from others. It's a long, long time paying passed down. Uh, and as Sister Diane mentioned, this location was the start of their, of their home, their founding, their founding house or mother house, as it's quite often referred to. And it was occupied by sisters until recently, until, uh, until about uh, in very late 2020, I think it was November, December uh, 2020, by uh, the last two sisters who resided here were Sister Rosemary Ryan and Sister Maggie Taylor. And Sister Rosemary and Sister Maggie continue to be weekly volunteers at the gathering place to this very day. Well, at least till yesterday, because yesterday was their day in. We'll see if they come back next week, but they were here uh, until uh, yesterday. But, and not only that, um, but everybody knows Sister Maggie and Sister Rosemary. The guests know them, the volunteers know them, and the staff certainly uh, know them. Uh, Joanne, I bet you, you know them too. And uh, they still volunteer and they're here with us this morning. Sister Maggie is right here. You want to stand up so people can see you? And Sister Rosemary is just over here. Thank you both. And I tell you, when they're in the building, we know it. And they're, 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 a pleasure to, they're, they're a pleasure to be around. I sat down with them yesterday for a few minutes, and it always will put a smile on my face, and there's always a chuckle and a laugh and a, an enjoyable moment with them. So the gathering place is actually attached to this building. The gathering place used to be the Mercy Girls School or Mercy Academy. And in the 90s, when the denominational school system ended and the school was no longer needed, the sisters very quickly transitioned to how can we use this to help the community? And they engaged with presentation sisters as well, who are our neighbors uh, to the north side. And they're represented here this morning by several of their members and their leadership team. And Sister Rosheen is here this morning, who sat on our board until recently. It's good to see you again, Sister. And, um, you know, they work together. And they, they came in, as, it's, as sometimes people see the gathering place today as a soup kitchen, but they came in to serve a meal a couple of times a week and uh, to give people a chance to come in uh, inside and have a meal. And of course, that wasn't really new because the sisters did that since they arrived back in the early 1800s uh, from their convents. But having a space where they can actually invite people in and, and provide for them. And then they extended that to, well, there's a gymnasium down the hall. Instead of telling people to go back out in the cold, we can use this, the, the gymnasium down the hall and it became a social room. It is a social room to this day, you know, the same space. And before long, they, they were saying, you know, that people are coming here using these services some have some complex issues, it's like there's no one helping them, and they signed a sister to become a case manager and to work with people to find solutions. And so what they, what they had done was everything they did, they learned something. And when they learned something, they responded to it and did something else. And that's been the history of the Gathering Place till this very day. And as our programs and services uh, expand and grow, it's because we do something, we learn something, and we respond to find another way to provide those services. And we learned that from the sisters uh, many, many years ago. And so that is um, Executive Director of the Gathering Place, Paul Davis, uh, who uh, took reporters this morning on a bit of a tour of the new expanded operations as it converts the former Mercy Convent into a permanent housing solution for people in need. And they're going to be um, attending to the needs of uh, a variety of people who are in uh, precarious housing or homeless or um, just require some transitional housing 
housing on different levels of that uh, beautiful and historic uh, structure. So uh, lots of work underway there now, and uh, they're hoping to have things up and running in no time. Um, so that's just part of some of the many, many things that have happened here today, Claudette. So uh, <laughs> so busy. Stay tuned is all I can say to uh, new the um, a day in review with Noah Shepard now coming up for some of the other things that are happening. And uh, tomorrow morning, we'll keep you informed of all of the many announcements, including uh, this one from Equinor today that we've been talking about and more of the reaction to that decision to delay the project for up to uh, three years and, and what that could mean uh, for offshore oil in Newfoundland and Labrador and uh, around the world, because as we know, things are changing very rapidly. Uh, appreciate uh, your time this afternoon. Uh, for anyone uh, still listening and uh, enjoying the program, uh, thanks for doing so, and we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Have a great day.